Well, good morning. Let's pray together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this privilege, this opportunity that we have to come and dig into your word now, Lord. Thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you uh, for just showing us, Lord, what love and unity and the family of God uh, is supposed to look like. Thank you for your precious promises, Lord, uh, that those who trust in you, Jesus, can be saved from their sins and be in the family of God. We just thank you so much for that. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit now would fill our hearts. Help us to understand uh, your word, Lord. Help us to grow in our love for you and for each other. Uh, Lord, may we, may we have unity through humility and love and service, all for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God the Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. We'll be finishing the book of Galatians today. It's like saying goodbye to a good friend. Pastor Jared did an excellent job of opening the book for us many weeks ago, and I was listening to that as I was preparing for this message, and I'm like, wow, you know, that's just a great, great opening to this book, and it's just spot on. So thank you, Pastor Jared. I'm borrowing some of uh, your words today as we close out the book in this introduction. <clears throat> I encourage you to go back and listen to that uh, message. It's, uh, it's very good. You can find all of our sermons uh, on our website uh, anytime. You can listen to them. We've seen that Galatians has been a book about new creation. We've seen a beautiful picture of what a new creation in Christ looks like. The people of Galatia had been bewitched. The members of the churches there had been tricked, fooled, bewitched. They started well, believing in Jesus and being saved from their sins through faith and walking to new life in Christ. But there were Jewish Christians from Jerusalem that had come to Galatia, and they were teaching what Paul called another gospel. They were being influenced to pursue the Torah, the law of Moses, and being circumcised to become, quote, true children of Abraham. <clears throat> and part of God's family. So these believers, supposedly, from Jerusalem were saying, no, you've kind of, you know, Jesus is right, that's the right place to start, but there's more, you know, you, you need to keep the Torah, you need to keep the law, and you need to be circumcised, then you'll be truly part of Abraham's family, God's family. So the issue at hand then, well, well also, also, you know, that's what Abraham did, right? So you can see how they would talk. Well, Abraham believed. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Then he was circumcised. Then the law came, etc. So you can see how they would rationalize this thinking. And if you want to be part of God's family, you know, true offspring of Abraham, then you need to follow this way. It's, Jesus alone isn't enough. Faith alone wouldn't be enough. Because see what Abraham did, right? So the issue at hand here was one of identity. It's one of identity. Will the Gentile believers in the churches in Galatia be part of a new group of Jewish converts who added Jesus, 
or will they become a group that is neither Jewish or pagan, something altogether new, a new creation? That's the point of the book that's wrapped up here today. We're to be a new creation, something brand new. Not Jew, not pagan, unbelieving Gentiles as they were thought of in those times, but a new creation. And so why the big deal about circumcision? And that's, that's a big deal in the book of Galatians. Well, because circumcision represented something far deeper than the physical act itself. It represented identity. How you saw yourself in the community. How you belonged to the community. Circumcision, uh, circumcision would say this. I am Jewish and Torah observant. I'm not one of those Gentiles. Not one of those uncircumcised. It represents one's identity as a Jew. And so for a Jew, you must be circumcised to be in the family. And that thinking cares, carries on even today. So circumcision and Torah keeping was a way of identifying a person as not a Gentile, not one of those Gentile sinners. And it was a dividing wall to keep Gentiles out and keep the Jews in. And it's the dividing wall that was spoken of in Ephesians 2.13 that kept Jew and Gentile apart, two groups separated. Circumcision represented that wall. We read about it in Ephesians 2.11 says, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. So they would even talk about them this way. Oh, that's the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what you were, Gentiles. That's what you were. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. And by the way, that's what we are before we have faith in Christ. We have no hope. And we are without God in the world. You can say all day long, oh, I love God, I love God. But if you don't love Jesus Christ and you don't have faith in him, you are without hope and without God in the world. You have no hope. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, both Jew and Gentile now, brought into one unified family, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus destroyed it by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he, Jesus, might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So you see this theme of unity, unity, one family, and by so making peace. No more enmity between the two groups, Jew and Gentile, fussing and fighting and arguing and separated, but one new family at peace with each other. And might reconcile to us both to God, reconcile us both to God in one body, one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Because these two groups would fight with each other. 
And if you read Paul's letters, most of the time he's trying to make peace between Jews and Gentiles in the church that have now been thrown together. And man, they just have trouble with each other. They just have trouble getting along, bearing with one another. All these differences of how they dress and what they ate and the, and the rituals they would keep and what was important to one and not the other. And he's constantly trying to make peace between the two groups, pointing out to them, like, look, you're not separated anymore. In Christ, you are one unified family of God. You're all children of God through faith in Christ. And that has been the theme of this book. What God has done in Jesus is to create one new family. We are all one new family in Christ Jesus. And it's not through fleshly circumcision or Torah-keeping or religious ritual, but through circumcision of the heart and being led by the Spirit of God in our lives. No more hostility between Jew and non-Jew, instead love and unity and service to one another in Christ. And this is the very thing that physical circumcision itself was pointing to from the very beginning. Moses told Israel to circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be stubborn anymore. It was always pointing to what should happen in our hearts. Deuteronomy 36, 30 verse 6 says, The Lord will circumcise your heart, that you will love him with all your heart and all your soul, that you may live. So you want to live? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. It's always been about our heart, not about our physical, religious rituals. God cares about your heart and my heart. And what's the attitude of our heart? God is creating a family with a new identity, a new creation of faith working through love. We've seen that over and over again in Galatians. Faith in Jesus working through love is what identifies you as being in the new family of Abraham. Faith in Jesus working through love. Not a ritual, not circumcision, not what time you go to church or where you go to church or any of these types of things. Faith in Christ working through love. That's what identifies you as a Jesus lover, as a, as a, a child of God. Now, we through faith in Christ are the children of the free woman. We saw that. We saw that the ones who try to keep physical circumcision and Torah-keeping, those are all a yoke of slavery and a mark of bondage. The son of the bondwoman that we read of in chapter 4, verse 21. So you want to go back to that? He's like, don't go back to that. Don't go back to slavery, because that's what that is. If you put your faith and your significance and your identity in law-keeping and ritual-keeping and circumcision and these other physical outward things, you're going back to being a slave. Gentiles, you were a slave to the devil, the prince of the power of the air, we learn. Don't go back to being a slave to the devil and his demons and the 
elementary principles of this world. That's what you were before you had faith in Christ. Don't go back to slavery. Jews, don't go back to trusting in the law and circumcision and Torah keeping and Sabbath keeping and all the, the feasts and the rituals. You're, you're in bondage if you do that. You're a slave. That, that's the son of the slave woman, Hagar, chapter 4. No, don't do that. You are children of promise through faith in Christ. You're the son or the daughter of the free woman. That was Sarah. That's what we saw in chapter 4. You're the son of the free woman. You are children of promise through faith in Christ. Don't go back to being a slave. So this theme of a unified family of Abraham, that is the central theme of this book. And as children of God, we are part of that through faith in Christ. That's our identity. That's our identity. And so God's plan was to create one family. That's what he told Abraham. And you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. One family in the Messiah. And faith is all that is required for anyone, Jew or Gentile, to enter the family. It's through faith. The same Spirit is who saves all, Jew and Gentile. Baptist, Methodist, Catholic. <laughs> trying to map this to our current day context. You know, we, we try to compartmentalize ourselves so much. Through faith in Christ, one spirit saves all and makes us part of the family of God. And the outpouring of the spirit is the sign that God's new age has begun. And so today, as we conclude the book of Galatians, we'll see our identity in Christ confirmed. And I pray our hearts will be encouraged. Look at chapter 6, starting at verse 11. Galatians 6, starting at verse 11. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh." But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause, cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And so look at verse 11. Verse 11 basically saying, pay attention here, everyone. <laughs> pay attention here. Look with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So why would he emphasize that? He's basically saying, look, this is coming straight from me, Paul. Now, we don't know if it's this, just this last section that he's written with his own hand. It was a common thing for him to, to speak, and others would write for him in some of the letters. Other letters he wrote with his own hand. And there's good debate on both sides of that, and I'm not getting into all that today. <laughs> he could have written the whole letter himself, or he could have just written this last section himself. 
Either way, he's closing out the letter and he's saying, pay attention here. Look, I, look at what large letters I'm writing with my own hand. This is me, Paul, telling you directly. So pay attention, everyone, pay attention. And he wants us to pay attention and know to boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 12 through 14. Verse 12 through 14. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. There's strong motivation here behind those that are pushing for circumcision to avoid persecution. The Jewish Christians would have suffered persecution because Jews were not to associate with Gentiles for any reason. This was very strong teaching. But if these Gentiles were to become Jewish converts, then the association would have been permitted. And we know this because Paul refers to his own beatings many times in the New Testament. And even at the, at the close of this letter, he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Let, don't anybody bother me anymore with this stuff. I got on my body the marks of Jesus, he says at the close of this letter. Paul was regularly beaten for preaching salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. He was regularly beaten by the Jews, especially after preaching in the Jewish synagogue. So he knows. He's like, they're just saying this because they don't want to be persecuted. That's one strong motivation why they would enforce this. Second Corinthians 11 says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned. So look how they tried to kill him over and over again. It was, it was known and said that, you know, 40 lashes would have been enough to kill somebody. And so 40 stripes minus one. They held off on that last one just to torture him. And he's received that five times. You can imagine what his back looked like. Shredded up. He was beaten with rods three times. And once he was stoned to death. So much to the point where they carried him out of town and they just left him for dead. Everyone thought he was dead. But by God's mercy, he was kept alive. And so Paul understood what it meant to suffer for the sake of Christ, what it meant to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And so the ones pushing for Torah observance and circumcision were motivated quite strongly to avoid this type of persecution and suffering. And also they wanted to boast about their new converts to this way of law keeping and this way of life. Verse 13 and 14, we can see, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So they want to brag a little bit. Yeah, we, could, we convinced those guys to keep Torah also. Yeah, they love Jesus. They got that part. But we, we, we sold them on the idea of Torah keeping and circumcision. Look, they're part of the club now. They want to boast about that. Yeah, look what we did. You can imagine the, the meetings. Well, how many did you sign up this week? How many did you convert over this week? Well, let's see. You know, I, I got five notches right here. Good job. Good job. Go out and go get some more. They wanted to boast about it. 
Look how great we are. But he said they don't even keep the law fully. They don't keep it. They don't even keep the law. They just want to boast about you. Paul says, far be it for me that I boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was, the, that was Paul's laser focus. Nothing but Christ and the cross. Nothing but the gospel. He was laser focused on it. Now we know they don't keep the law. For no one has been able to keep the whole law. <clears throat> no one, anytime, anywhere. We know from James chapter 2, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. So, you know, you talk to most people, and like, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Oh, really? Pretty good person. Okay. Well, did you ever uh, tell a lie? No. Well, now you lied to me, because I know you told a lie before. Ever when you're a little kid? Okay, when I was a little kid. So now you're a liar, because you just said you never lied, but you did lie when you were a little kid. So now you're, okay, so you're a liar. Did you ever steal anything? No. Well, not even like a, something from your brother or sister or anything like that? Well, yeah, kind of, I did. Well, now you're a thief. Right, and so on and on it goes. So you're a thieving liar. Do we need to go further? Right, so you fall in one point of it, and you're guilty of all of it. You're nothing but a bunch of thieving, sinning liars. Psalm 14 says, there's no one who does good, not one. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. They've all turned aside. They have altogether become corrupt. There's none who does good, not one. Psalm 14. So God looks down from heaven at you and me. He says, hey, is there anybody down there who does good? And you look up like, hey, I, I do pretty good. I know. All turned aside. Every last one of you. Sorry, you're not good enough. No one who does good. Not even one. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So we can't even earn our way there. We can't justify ourselves before God by keeping the law. It's impossible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. That's the good news. And so when we understand what worms we really are, what sinners we really are, that's when we can understand and fully experience God's love and grace and mercy in our souls and appreciate it. Yes, I was nothing. I was nothing. I can never save myself. Yes, I need Jesus, and I trust him alone for my salvation. And so we can see from these texts exactly what Paul was saying. No one can keep the law. Those that want to compel you to be circumcised, those that compel you to to keep Torah, they don't even keep it themselves. Nobody can. It can't be done. You know, sometimes I hear people ask the question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And I think, you know, that's just the wrong question. It's, it's completely upside down. Instead, we ought to be asking the question, 
Why does anything ever good happen to us wretched bad people? Think about that for a minute. You know, in light of these texts that we've just read, we are sinners who deserve wrath and death and judgment for our sins. We are not fundamentally good people. We're actually very bad people. We're sinful people. And so the right question is, well, why does anything ever good happen to us wretched, horrible, bad people? Well, it's by the grace of God. That's why anything good ever happens to us. By the grace and mercy of God in our lives and Christ working in and through us that anything ever good can happen in us bad people? That's the right question. And the answer is the grace of God. And so I say this because I'm trying to emphasize what Paul's saying here. Don't put any confidence in your flesh. Don't put any confidence in your own abilities, in how great you think you are, and how strong you might think you are. You see this constantly in our entertainment today. Oh, just believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Look in your heart. Follow your heart. The Bible is the opposite of that. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart. Follow Christ Jesus and the Spirit in your life. That's what you follow. You're led by the Spirit of God. Not the pixie dust that fell into your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't have any confidence in the flesh is what we're learning here today. No confidence in your flesh. Now look, if anyone had a right to boast and put confidence in their own ability, what they could accomplish in the world, it would have been the Apostle Paul. And we see his thinking on this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about these types of people that he's addressing in Galatians. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. None. No confidence in the flesh. Though I myself might have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul talking. Circumcised on the eighth day. So he's going to go down this, this list of Jewish credentials, he meets every one of them spot on. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Okay, man, that, those were the top, the top law keepers, Pharisees. So he's up there, check that box. So his, his resume is impressive. If you saw his LinkedIn profile, you'd be like, whoa, let's go recruit this guy. And he is on it. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, all right. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. No one had anything on Paul. Kept the law. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Like, wait a minute, Paul. The record scratches. What? What? You count that as loss? It takes a lifetime to gain that resume, Paul. Really? I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now that word rubbish, that's a, that's a gloss. It's dumb. And actually, I, can't, I won't even say what it really gets to, the meaning, because I defend a lot of people in here. It's a bad, bad word. It's bad. It's dumb. Poo-poo. <laughs> right? It's all poo-poo. He counts it all poo-poo in order that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why? That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So you see, Paul, he gets it. He gets it completely. He knows God's kingdom is here. He will rise from the dead. He will live with Christ in his kingdom forever and ever. And he can't wait for it. He, he's willing to say, it's all nothing to me. Take that, all that spiritual resume and throw it in the, in the, in the toilet. Flush it. It's nothing. I don't care about that stuff anymore. And so we can see here there's a stark contrast between boasting in ourselves and boasting in the Lord. Are you going to exalt yourself with pride and level up and say, look at how great I am. Look at my, my spiritual resume. Or are you going to say, it's all about Christ. I will boast in the cross and Christ crucified. That's it. So as believers, any boasting that we should do should have at its root the cross of Christ. Not how great we are compared to other people. Not at all. He says it here back in Galatians. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And isn't that such a strange statement? Boast in the cross of Christ. You ever hear anybody talk like that? Like, let's boast in the electric chair. Let's boast in the gas chamber. I'll make my boast in lethal injection. That's, that's capital punishment. And that's what the cross was. It was the instrument of capital punishment by which criminals were brutally killed. And so for Paul to say, I'm going to boast in the cross of Christ, that seems like such a strange statement. But what he really means there is he's boasting in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He accomplished forgiveness, freedom, life eternal and abundant through his blood on the cross. That's what was accomplished there. And so we boast in that. We boast in what he accomplished for us on the cross. And know that any good thing that happens in our lives or any bad thing that happens in our lives that God works together for good is because of the cross of Christ. Not our flesh or our abilities or what we can do. Another illustration is like this. 
it's like the good things that happen in our lives are, are like a beam of light. You ever see a beam of light? Maybe through the clouds or you've got a strong flashlight and you see this beam of light. And our tendency is to boast in the beam of light rather than the source of the light, which is the cross of Christ. So when you see that beautiful beam of light in your life, be careful not to boast in all the circumstances or all the great things or all the things that are happening you know, in that beam of light, the, the activities, the, the things that are going on. That's just, that's the beam of light. Make your boast in the source of the light, which is Christ crucified. Anything good that happens in our lives is because of his work on the cross. Boast in the cross. Follow that back to Christ crucified. It's by his grace and mercy we live. So boast in the source of the light, not the beam of light. And we also see here that through the cross of Christ, we are dead to the world and the world is dead to us. In Galatians 2, he wrote this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He expands on this in Romans chapter 6, because you might wonder, you know, what does it mean? What does he mean when he says, I'm crucified to the world and the world to me? What does that really mean? Well, in Romans chapter 6, he goes further into what it means to be crucified with Christ. He says this in Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that old body of sin is dead. It is nailed up there on the cross. It's brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you were a slave to sin before faith. Now through faith, you're a slave to God. You're a child of God. You're part of his family. That old self is nailed to the cross. You're no longer a slave to sin. Some people will, will just be so defeated. They say, well, I can't help myself. You know, Yes, you can. You have victory in Jesus. You have self-control as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are not a slave to sin. Present your body as a slave to righteousness is what we do. You do have victory over that. You're no longer a slave to sin. Act like it. For one who has died has been set free from sin. The chains are gone. You've been set free. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That, that is what it looks like to say, I've been crucified with Christ. That old self is nailed to the cross. No longer a slave to that old self. No more need for running after worldly things. Being consumed by what the people of this world think about me. You know, think about that for a minute. How much energy and time and, and stress 
stress do we spend running after worldly things or what people might think about us? And then following that into sin and becoming, you know, trapped again into sin. It's like, no, don't do that. You don't have to do that anymore. You're set free. None of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter. Now we live for Jesus. We live by faith in Jesus. We have strength to live for him through faith in him. And so you can say, that is dead to me. If you're tempted to do something wrong to impress somebody else, to improve your reputation with them or what other group of people, you can say, that is dead to me. I'm not a slave to that anymore. Because I know what that's like. I go to work. I'm surrounded by unbelieving people. And sometimes there are temptations to act a certain way, talk a certain way, say certain things to fit in with that group. It's identity, right? But I want to be, I want to fit in with them because I want this career path. Or you guys, you young people say, I might, well, I want to fit in with them because then I'll look cool or I'll be cool to them. And so they'll accept me. You don't have to do that. Who cares about that? That's what Paul's saying here. Forget about all that. That's dead to me. What I care about is Christ and living a life that honors him. All that is dead to me. That's the point here. No need to follow after all that anymore. It's dead to us. The world is dead to us. And we are dead to the world. And so they might think, yeah, what a lame Jesus follower. Forget him. I've had that happen to me. <laughs> and it is okay. Exactly. We are dead to the world. I'm sure they thought that of me. Well, that Walcott, man, he's dead to us. What a lame-o. Jesus boy. The world had no respect for Paul. We know when he made this choice to follow Christ, all that spiritual resume was chucked. <clears throat> and he was dead to the world. 1 Corinthians 4 says this. I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and beaten and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He traded all his glory and spiritual resume to be the scum of the world. Will you do that? Will you say the world is dead to me and I to the world? Are you willing to do that? And to fully trust in Christ? That's what Paul did. And so don't be surprised if they say, oh, that lame, lame-o, he's out, she's out, not hanging with us. It's okay. Let it go. You keep following Jesus. He'll take good care of you. He'll take good care of you. 
And then finally we see, be born again and have peace. Be born again and have peace. Look at verses 15 and 16 in Galatians 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This, this is the core teaching and the whole point of the letter right here. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but what? Faith working through love. Faith working through love. So let's always remember, brothers and sisters, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but we believe the precious gospel and we're saved by trusting in Christ. And if you haven't done that, don't leave here today without trusting him. Don't waste another minute of your life without Jesus. Those of us that have trusted him, we've been made into a new creation by God, and we are children of God through him keeping his promise. We are the children of promise. And now that we have been set free, we are free to walk in faith and love and service to others. Let's not go back to being slaves. It's not for us. No going back to being a slave. It would be wrong for you to think that you can show yourself as a child of God through law-keeping, rituals, observing certain days, feasts, festivals, any other man-made religion. That's not how you show yourself a child of God. No, you're a child of God through faith. So don't go back to being a slave. Don't go back to submitting yourself to all these worldly things that mean nothing before God. Remember, faith working through love is the mark of a new creation. All those who by faith have a new life in Christ are considered the spiritual Israel of God. We are in the family of God through faith and his promise. And so let's put off being prideful, walking in the flesh, boasting to make ourselves look, look good compared to other people. There's no place for that, not in our families. Not in this church community, not in our communities as a whole or in our workplaces. Put away that pride and put on love, service, and humility. And when we do that, people will see, they'll see, oh, that's how, those are the ones who love Jesus, the ones who love each other. Those are the Jesus lovers. And our lives will be marked by love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control will be filled with God's Spirit. And we'll show the world that we, we love Jesus Christ. Amen.